like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of Enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit TenkataFabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its Fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com. Everybody in fire engineering, FDIC, and just simply loving the job land. Welcome to the Mikey G and Mikey D show. Um, we are coming to you live, sort of, from Seattle, and I think somewhere in the distant shores of Long Island, New York. Right, Michael? Is that correct? Correct. correct. All right. Well, we're gang, we couldn't be more excited with the show that we have for you today. We've been really pumped to bring this topic to you for a long time. And you are going to really enjoy the guests that we got on. And we didn't mess around. We know all the folks involved with fire engineering and FDIC. We decided that we wouldn't mess around and we wouldn't go to the second tier or the third tier. We went right to the top. And we got the dynamic duo of David Rhodes and Diane Rothschild. And they are going to share with you something that I think most of you are going to be pretty um, interested in. How do you write for the seminal? premier, most groundbreaking and life-changing fire publication that has ever existed, fire engineering. How do you do that? How do you, how do you take that cool thing that you're doing at your firehouse, that you're doing at your training ground, that you may be teaching to some of the local departments or even doing at smaller conferences? How do you take that and put it into words so it can get out to the nation and get into the firehouses and the hands of firefighters everywhere? Um, Michael, I think you probably would agree with me. Um, is there a cooler moment in the world than going to the mailbox, finding a fire engineering magazine and something that you have worked and slaved over to try to make reasonable and intelligible for the nation 
is in fire engineering. I mean, is there is there a better day than that, brother? No, not at all. Not at all. And I love it when it shows up at my door, when my name is in the magazine. And it also, it just allows you to use your voice to be heard. And it's so cool. It's such a blessed thing that we do. And that the brothers and sisters out there take time to read it, listen to it, uh, learn from it, whether it's on the podcast or anything else, that they're willing to give us some of their precious time. I think is a just it's a gift. So thank you. Well, and the second part of the show is on that elusive ethereal thing of how do I get accepted for FDIC? And I think we're going to pull the curtain back a little bit today. I think you're going to find that those no, there's no weird little dude back there with a machine that's pulling the levers and all this kind of stuff. There are actually some fundamental common sense and very orderly things you can do to elevate your chances of teaching at, let's face it, the premier, most breathtaking exposition of the talent and the industry that exists in the world, FDIC. Um, so we got uh, we got Dave and Diane. They're the deciders, man. <laughs> they're the one they're the ones who make most of the decisions. There are a lot of us to contribute and give input, but you're talking about the folks that make the decisions. So if you want to hear it from the folks that will tell you exactly what they're looking for, you're in for a wonderful hour, hour and a half, however long we have fun with this. And we have a couple special guests, right, Michael? Yes, we, we got do. Some, uh, we got, we'll, we'll, we'll share that a little bit later, but we got a few people that we're going to bring on that I believe will provide some additional insights. So um, I'm not going to waste any more time. Michael, um, just before we start, I was going to do it, but I actually want you to do it. Just speak for a moment about what fire engineering and FDIC has meant in your life. Just just real quick. Warm us up with that. It has meant brotherhood and sisterhood. The people I have met, the friends I have made. The other day, a friend of mine that I met through fire engineering from Australia came by my house to see my house for the first time. And he was at the IAFF conference in New York City. And just happened to be able, and I said, come on, come on out. Missy and I will go out to lunch. We'll take you down by the water. We'll see where I live and everything. And he was just, he was awestruck. But the relationships, yourself and me, David, Diane, the brothers and sisters, uh, I can go on and on about the people I have met through this wonderful thing that have changed my life and become friends forever. So it is just a great thing. Walking down the hall at FDIC and just, hey, brother, how are you? Hey, brother, how are you? And seeing people you know from all over the country who are like-minded. It's like meeting your best friend a hundred different times at FDIC. Yeah, I couldn't concur more. Um, I, at the board meeting, I had a chance to talk about what fire engineering has meant to me as a young firefighter. Uh, getting that in the mailbox, having it in the firehouse, um, absolutely transformational. Um, the the knowledge that I got from places that I didn't know about who were doing things in a way that I had never thought of. Not all of it applied, but man, some of it is in my toolbox today. Um, and the same thing with FDIC and you articulated the relationships and FDIC is actually that one place where the entire fire service is present. It's all there at one time, man. It's if, if you want to go look at the newest fire truck, 
go get on it and put that thing in pump. If you want to go look at a, a new ladder or a new rescue tool, or if you want to see some new system or a telemetry deal or, or some kind of staffing model, or you just want to talk about education opportunities or what we're going to talk about, seeing absolutely the brightest and the best, the most innovative fire service instructors in the world, that's FDIC. So gang, I, I can't say enough about how much I, I love these two people that are coming on. Um, I rave about Dugan all the time. You know, he's become like family to me. And Dave and Diane are of the same, um, they're the same relationship, the same friendship. And I, I value it more than I can ever articulate. Um, I'm going to spare you to the long bio intros. Is that okay? Since, you know, not, not to throw you under the bus, but since I requested a bio and I got a smart aleck response from David, <laughs> which actually wasn't too far off. <laughs> I was going to say got, it was pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah, I got a half a sentence from Diane. Um, why don't just briefly, uh, let me just tell you, these are above and beyond what we'll talk about for the rest of the day. Two of the most transformational people I have ever met. Um, and I've met a lot of people, man, thousands and thousands of people who are doing great work. Um, there have not been two more influential people in my life or my career than, than these two close friends, dear people, legitimate, authentic people who often work behind the scenes and are grinding away to see that not only you have a good experience, but that the sacredness and the quality of these two brands is upheld. So, Diane, I'm going to introduce you first because you've been around the longest. All right. So um, tell them tell them your your position, your title, how long you've been with. And just uh, if you want to rip on roads a little bit, I'm fine with that. That's all good. You just call her old on the camera. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, I have been here 34 years. Whew. David Rhodes is my fourth editor that I had to break in. And uh, 34 years ago, I answered a blind ad in the New York Times, and the ad was asking for somebody to edit a monthly magazine that impacted daily lives. And I'm like, I want to impact daily lives. And it turned out to be fire engineering. And that's in a nutshell what we do in the magazine and at the show is impact daily lives by training firefighters how to do their job safely, effectively, better, you know, you, uh, new techniques and ideas. And all the techniques and ideas come from people across the country who started out with their first article or their first FDIC submission, and now they're training the fire service worldwide. So it has been a really rewarding 34 years. Um, I don't know if I'm going to last 34 more years. <laughs> David just told me I might not, he might not be my last editor, and I said he better be. So uh, yeah, so that's it. And I am Vice President, Editorial Director, and I direct content uh, to our magazines, our websites, and uh, places like that. Could you have ever imagined when you answered that article the amount of impact that you would have on this sacred profession? I mean, well, we're not talking tens of thousands of lives impacted. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Well, I don't take credit for any of it. I always tell people like, we're the platform to showcase you and that you guys really do all the work and you do. Uh, I'm telling the story here <laughs> <laughs> and you have impacted hundreds and hundreds of thousands of work of, of firefighters and a lot of it behind the scenes. 
yeah. without accolade, without fanfare. So mm -hmm. if you want the truth, I just gave it to you. That's yeah. the truth. Well, no, uh, I just wanted title. to give credit where credit is due. And we have a lot of help. We have really good people behind the scenes that help us. And, you know, it's not a one or two person job. So tell well, them who got a title and then we'll move on to the to the the new guy in town. The other title that you have, let's face it, it's the well, queen. Right? Well, <laughs> Bill Bill Peters called me the Chop Queen, and he gave me a fire axe that says Chop Queen that was hanging in my office. So, yeah, I am the Chop Queen <laughs> when I edit. Tell who that interview was with thirty four years ago. Oh, Bill Manning and Tom Brennan. Yeah. And and Tom was supposed to just feel me out and tell Bill Manning whether he should hire me or not. And I sat down in Tom's office and Tom goes, let's not beat around the bush. The job is yours if you want it. <laughs> and Manning's like, uh, we just discussed feeling her out and discussing after she left the interview. And Tom just blurts out that I have the job. So I should have known that was Brennan's personality then, you know. Well, and for those of you that are listening who knew Tom Brennan and, and the legendary uh, person and man that he was, he referred to Diane as his star pupil. Yeah. So I can't think of too many more accolades that one would like to have than that from, from Chief Brennan. So, um, and now we move on to the new guy. Um, Rookie. Let me, let me tell you, uh, if Diane is, uh, if Diane is Tom Brennan's star pupil, then David Rhodes is certainly would be referred to by that for Bobby Halton. Um, Bobby could have picked, anybody he wanted in the fire service and they would have jumped at the chance to be the editor of this magazine could have picked anybody. And there's probably about 20 or 30 people that were punching and fighting and clawing that felt like they should have been the one to get it. Uh, Bobby in his wisdom uniquely reached out and selected the single best individual that he could have to fulfill this incredible position and carry on the legacy of Brennan, of Manning, of Bobby Halton. And um, I, I, he only sent me like a smart aleck one line sentence of his bio. Oh, the read bio it. Could be, read it. It could be five pages long, the things that David has accomplished. And I want to tell you behind the scenes, true character, authentic, willing to fight the tough battles and all the credentials that you would want for somebody to sit in this chair and be the, if you will, the titular head of the fire service from an operational and a leadership perspective, David is that. So David, um, I, I lose track of what your title is. Um, and I had a funny one that I would have said, but now I've decided not to. So um, uh, welcome to the show, brother, and tell them just a little bit about yourself, what your actual title is and a little bit about your duties. What a lot of people don't know is Diane actually had the final decision on on who got the job. Bobby just thought he had the decision. It was actually Diane's to make. <laughs> uh, David Rhodes, uh, been on the show a couple of times with you guys and um, did 36 years in the fire service, started in a small department uh, in the suburbs of Atlanta, Conyers, and, and then moved up to Atlanta after about seven years and did 30 years there. So uh, retired a couple years ago and then have been working with fire engineering and wrote my first article back in 99, I guess, um, and then ended up keynoting FDIC in either 99 or 2000 after the big crane rescue uh, in Atlanta with, with Matt Mosley and crew. 
and then ended up teaching as a hot instructor for years and then uh, moved into hot logistics and and did a lot of stuff with the show. So been around fire engineering and the FDIC for 25 years, I guess. So uh, quite a quite a chunk of my my career. And it all started by, you know, uh, Bill Manning asking for an article about the incident. And uh, obviously, you know, there's a lot of mutual connections. We had Scott Millsap that had done a lot of teaching and stuff there. So so we were all introduced to the different people. But, uh, yeah, when you get that phone call and, and you get asked to write an article, you know, your first thought is, who am I to write an article? Right. And the answer is, well, you were there and you saw it play out live and, you know, throw some words on the paper and, and put it in the system and 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 work it out. So um, I got named uh, editor in January, 1st of February, and then had Bobby had hired me to sort of be his right hand assistant and, and help with uh, a lot of the stuff on the fire engineering side with articles. And, uh, um, then obviously when he passed away in December, then, uh, we had a little bit of a a pause there for everybody to catch their breath and figure out what was happening. And then, um, Eric and the team decided to, to offer me that position. And with that comes the educational, uh, education director for, for FDIC. So, which is what we're going to talk about picking classes and, and, and the content for the show. Well, um, as we get into the meat of this thing, David, I'm going to stay with you. Um, and you, you did reference back, and I thought it's a brilliant way to start it. We, we actually didn't script it, but there you go. It's a way to start it. Um, just so you both know, we, Mike and I just kind of take turns asking you questions. And then if something interests us, we opine or we veer off on a direction or whatever. Um, just to open us up, David, you said 1999, you got asked to write an article. And I imagine you were probably blown away to be asked. I love that you said, who am I to write an article? I know we all go through that. Even to this day, we struggle somewhat with that. Um, Here's what I'd like you to do. There's going to be tens of thousands of people who watch this. Um, Tell them why folks should want to submit to fire engineering, why it's important, why it matters, the, the gravity of it, the impact of it from your perspective as not only a longtime mega contributor to what fire engineering is, but somebody whose first article was started because of this magazine. Yeah, um, the biggest thing is it's it's a huge platform to share your experience. And uh, I think that's the most important thing is that we learn from each other. And if you if you have something happen or, or especially if there's something unique in your area, then that's something that needs to be shared with the entire entire fire service. And it could be, um, you know, it could be a new twist on an old subject even because as the generations change, uh, there's different terms and ways to communicate. There's different situations that arise that need to be explained in an updated manner. Anybody can say, well, there's, you know, some fundamental things that happen in the fire service. There's been a hundred articles on search. But what is unique about search today that wasn't the same, you know, even five years ago? What's the new what's the new uh, techniques or or the new things with fire behavior or research or whatever? And and it needs to be told in a fresh, uh, 
in a fresh way to to a new audience. It's like a football, the college football team. The the players are constantly changing. People are retiring. People are coming into the system, and so most people don't go back and search twenty years ago for for an article unless you're researching a paper or, or doing some type of project. And so, um, you know, the stories need to be retold with a fresh face in a lot of in a lot of instances with your own experiences. Yeah, not everything is happening everywhere at once, right? Right. Not everybody's having a crane rescue like you were involved in, but they're going <laughs> to. A yeah. crane rescue is coming at some point and to read about it and hear about it from somebody on the ground, the goods and the bads, you know, what went right, what went wrong. It's groundbreaking. You know, it's a transformational for a, a skill set, a toolbox. Yep. And right out of the gate, uh, it was really interesting because never, never have written an article before. And that incident was so big. And it was one of the first like incidents that was broadcast live on television. It was before social media, but every single network went to it in the country from a live feed. And so I actually, not only did I get blessed with writing about the rescue, but I actually had two articles in this, in the same edition. So I had one article about the fire itself, which was incredible. 10 alarms and and burned houses miles away with the, with the wind blowing the embers. But then we had a separate article about the, the rescue itself. So it was unique. And once it's, it's like Mike said, it's like, you know, once you get it in your hand and you see the pictures and the, the layout, you're kind of like overwhelmed. And it's like, you know, it's a little bit like, it, it strokes your ego for sure that you've got something in there, but you realize that like it started out with some notes on a piece of paper and it like people helped you along the way to get the message out. And, and uh, that's the beauty it, It's you know, it's like a painting or anything else. It starts out with a concept and, and there's people to help you move it along the way. And we get a lot of things that aren't, you know, they aren't print ready when we get them for sure. And, Sometimes it takes a lot of work, but if it's a if it's a good enough topic and there's a good enough message that we can see in there, then we're going to put the time into it to uh, to help you along the way. You know, with with not just Diane and I, but it could be uh, a number of people. Well, Diane, we're going to go to you, if you don't mind. Um, what are the various sections uh, or platforms of the fire engineering engineering world that people who want to submit articles can uh, submit to? Um, first, I wonder what it wanted to address what David just said. Sure. One thing that sets us apart from other publications is that we're more in-depth and we might not cover a big story like the minute it happens. We'll wait until an after-action report is is created or you know, there's been a review with lessons learned with the department or the lawsuits have all been filed and the dust settles. But in any case, we're more in depth and we want to get the full story and we don't want to print some knee jerk coverage without getting all the facts first. And that may take a couple of months from when the actual incident occurred. So I think that's one thing that makes us special and makes people want to read us is that we get all the facts on a story that they might not know otherwise. 
So I'm sorry, what was your question? Oh, what can they submit for? Well, we have platforms. Oh, we have Fire Engineering Magazine. We have Fire Apparatus and Emergency Equipment Magazine. We have FireEngineering.com, FireApparatus.com, Firefighter Nation, and anything else I'm missing? Gems. Uh, gems. 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 Yep for EMS-related content. So uh, everyone submits to me, and I decide where it best fits with David's help and guidance and usually uh, peer review by our advisory board members. Cool. Um, what articles or topics have the best chance of getting accepted? A fire report? is the best chance of going right to the top of our pile. <laughs> As I was overheard saying in the office, anyone who writes on an actual incident will get printed right away. <laughs> because we don't get enough of those, we get a ton of 500 word opinion pieces, and those usually end up as letters to the editor. And I tell people that there's only one opinion page and David Rhodes writes it, so. If you're writing like an opinion or you have an ax to grind or something bad happened at work and you want to, you know, bang out an article without much thought, that's not going to be a feature in fire engineering. It'll probably be a letter to the editor. Yeah. You know, see, so here's the thing that's great about what you just said. I think a lot of folks have incredible fires that they've been to. They've had incredible incidents as crane stuff or, or something interesting with an automobile accident or a garbage truck tip over or whatever. But they feel like it doesn't rise to the level of being interesting to the nation. You know, it's not a it's not a substantive standpipe detailed Bill Gustin type of article. Uh, I, folks, we're pulling the curtain back here. That's not true very interested in incidents and, and, and lessons learned from the incidences. And, and I, you know, I know you think that everybody has these and they're, they're already having them. So why write about them? They don't, and they don't have it from your perspective. So you heard it right from the top. If you want to go to the top, write about something that happened in your department where there were substantive lessons learned. Yeah. And I you mean, can go to the magazine and look at a former uh, one that's already been published and sort of get a feel for the type of information that, that needs to be in it. Mm -hmm. We we just had an instance where um, Tony Greco, our FDIC photographer, his son, Michael Greco, is the chief of Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey Volunteer Fire Department. And they just had a unique incident where they responded to a fire and they heard gunshots. And it turned out that the guy who lived in the house um, hid his gun and his ammunition from his wife in the oven. And she went to go preheat the oven and the ammunition started going off. Well, that's not an incident that you get every day, especially in a small volunteer fire department. And we asked him to write it up and he wrote it up. And with a little editing, it was on fireengineering.com last week and shared on social media and got a big response. So I mean, they start out as little ideas and all of a sudden you're on fireengineering.com with your department. Yeah. So, um, David, let me kick to you real quick. Um, you heard a little bit from Diane about suggestions for articles. I know you and I have talked quite a bit about this and you always say a few things to me um, on auto repeat. Write what you know. 
<laughs> you always say that. Just write what you know. Stole don't that from Mark Twain. Yeah, don't 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 try to make it up. Write what you know, and then don't just do a class on a book that you read. We can read the book. Um, so I get to hear that stuff from you, um, from the editor's chair. Speak to them about the types of articles that appeal to you, that catch your attention, the types of topics. So the the write what you know is important because we're we're looking for people that have unique experience with an incident, and so. If your department is one station in middle America and you have a a certain type of response package that goes to that, maybe it's two engines and a chief's car and that's it. That's five people. Um, Your perspective on how you do things, obviously all the same tasks need to be accomplished at some point, but how do you, how do you structure your department and your training to be set up? to do search? How do you set up to do uh, fire attack or whatever? Because the majority of the country is small uh, and, and rural departments and everybody can't relate to FDNY's staffing levels and hose packages and deployment. Yes, the same work has to be done at some level, but there's a lot of different ways to deliver it. Bobby used to say all the time, like all firefighting is local and it is. And those are the types of things we're looking for that are unique in the way you handle it, the way you set up your engine or your truck company compartments and tools um, are, are going to be different, you know, from, from a rural area to a suburban area to a, to an urban area. And we need all of it. Yes. We're going to publish things about the urban fire departments and how they do things. Cause you can learn a little bit from, from each of them. And maybe you'll find a little nugget that you can apply in your department, but we definitely want you, we want you writing about things that you have experienced, not things that you have just learned about or um, attended a class about or read a book about. We want to know, you can reference a book and and make a uh, a reference to it that in this book you heard of this particular thing and maybe it didn't work out exactly like it did in the book, but here's how you accomplished it. Right. Yeah, that's that's a better thing because if if we wanted something on a book, then we would go to the author of that book to get to get the piece. And uh, so don't don't try to be something that you're not. Um, for instance, I always give the example of, of taking a class at a national institution on high rise incident command. And the instructor was from a town where the tallest building was two stories, you know. And so that instructor was teaching from an experience of having that class and being familiar with the curriculum. I don't want to learn. I, and, and he did a great job with delivering the material. But. When I asked a couple of questions, he had nowhere to go because he'd never been in that environment. So we want people writing about things that they have experienced. That's that's number one. And uh, Dugan asked, you know, what's the way to go to the what do we need a way to go to the top? And, you know, fire reports, anything on tactics, anything about how to pack a hose, deploy a hose, force a door, open a roof, open a wall, remove a firefighter, remove a victim. You don't have to tell uh, from the beginning of the fire service to present day 
you can just focus on one particular technique and bang out 1,500 to 3,000 words-ish with a couple of pictures and keep it simple to that to that point. That's another common mistake is somebody may want to do an article on SCBA and they try to cover the whole gamut of SCBA and that would be an SCBA book. What we need you to do is talk about maintenance and care, donning and doffing in an article or emergency procedures in another article and so forth. So keep it simple. You don't have to get super complex, but just cover the subject super well uh, in the specifics that you're doing. And, uh, you know, it's not that we don't want any more of these articles, but if you want to spend a long time in the queue, then write us a very great leadership article because we have 300 300 sitting there ready to go. Uh, And we'll get into that with the FDIC submissions too. But I mean, it's, it's a, it's a great thing. People love leadership books. They love leadership articles, but there's only so much room. And if you think about the pool, how many people write and submit leadership articles versus an article on a Halligan, your chances of getting published on the Halligan article are greatly increased than the than the leadership article. So yeah, well, and just before we move on from that, because I think it's a very important point, you do not have to write a comprehensive tome on a particular piece of an auto extrication, right? You don't have to write the history of auto extrication. What you write about is that on this little weird hybrid vehicle with this battery yes. on fire. We did this and we had great effect and we tried to replicate it and we were able to just write that. Mm-hmm. And the rest of us are going to go, yeah, that's awesome. Another right. Tool. And don't write it with a particular location in mind. Like people will say, hey, I'm submitting this for the magazine. Let us make that decision right. because the magazine is very limited in the number of pages and articles that we can get in. And Diane, I mean, what some people wait a year, year and a half before we can actually run their article yeah. because of the the topic volume. and the editorial calendar yeah. and the volume. And so right now is a is a perfect opportunity. If you want to be published, uh, you can get published pretty quickly with a uh, 2,000 word article that we can put together and throw up on the web, just like she gave you that example. That was something very unique and relevant. I mean, who's not going to read about guns, guns being stored in an oven and and the the bullets discharging. It's like, you know, I've, I've been to a fire where I've heard some ammunition go go off, but like, Dude, when you put it in the oven, that sort of like adds a whole nother dynamic. And then, and then, then the wife preheats the oven, which causes the fire. (laughs) because <laughs> she was sick of all that ammo like we always say it's like you can't make this stuff up yeah. but people want to read about it right right <laughs> so well, that was a great headline you know it was yeah. a it was a perfect perfect article to get out on the web and get a lot of traffic you know and 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 a great lesson learned you know well and you alluded you alluded to you don't have to be coming from large metro staffing to have incredible insights to give. And I would take that even a step further and encourage those of you because the department that I spent most of my time in had pretty good staffing. It was not FDNY levels, but we had pretty good staffing. 
there were there were runs that I went on that staffing didn't matter because I was at a distant depart. I was at a distant firehouse that was difficult to get to. It was on the outside of the city, and there was a lot of runs going on. So the other f- second, third, fourth due weren't second, third, fourth due because they were on runs. And there were many times where, with three of us on the rig, one and two staffing in Seattle Fire, we had a significant wait time for the second and third due engines. Smaller departments can talk about that reality in an authentic way all day long because that's what they live. Second, third, fourth due is not coming. And the other one I would share with you is water supply Uh, (laughs) coming from the department I came from. We had a robust water supply, two rivers feeding the city, a plug on every corner, a plug mid block. We were totally inoculated from the idea that we had low water problems until we did. Mm-hmm. Until we hit a couple of those areas with significant fires where there wasn't big water supply. And guess how poorly we performed. <laughs> right. We were terrible. We, we did terrible. The lessons you learn from the departments that don't have a robust water supply can extend directly across to when you have those situations in your own jurisdiction. You can learn incredible stuff. And the creativity that comes with that, that yeah. people come up with all these crazy ways to get water yep. and and it's, it's just, it's incredible. If you can teach, think about like writing like this. If you can, if you can take a piece of equipment and go to the tailboard in the apparatus bay and teach a 10 minute class on that particular piece of equipment, you're going to use about 2,500 words to do that in, in 10 minutes. And you can put some of that down on, on, on paper. And uh, and start the process that way. Think about the little the little tidbits and tips that you do in your daily training. And that's what we want. We want the in-depth fire analysis and lessons learned and all that. But we also want the the daily tips on pieces of equipment and, and its uses. And if you can tie it into a real situation where you used it, that's great. But not all of them have to have to tie in. Cool. Cool. Well, Diane, we're up to you again. Uh, talk mm-hmm. about the technical aspect of actually writing and submitting articles to uh, you guys. How long you want them, in what kind of format, what the technical review process is. And I don't really care about it, but it's in there, the pay scale. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, people email me their articles. They are attached as Word documents with their bio at the end of the article. And any relevant photos are attached as JPEGs. And it goes out for technical review usually, unless it's somebody who's been established as an expert in that area. And the tech reviewer will either say, print it as is, it's great. here are my comments in the margin. It needs rewriting or flat out rejected. And it's very hard to get flat out rejected because we really try to work with everybody to put their article somewhere. Uh, Some red flags are if you're claiming to be an expert in the subject matter and you're not writing to current NFPA standards, we may think you're not the expert if you don't know that a new standard has come out governing what you're talking about. And again, like David mentioned, sometimes we get people's research papers. uh, Sometimes we get 
uh, articles where they're quoting other fire service people extensively. I mean, that just tells us that you don't have your own words and thoughts to contribute. I mean, like uh, getting an article where they quote about leadership, where they quote Rick Lasky and John Sulka and Frank Viscuso. Well, we could get them to write the articles. We don't need you quoting them in your articles. So we kind of need your own words and substantiated with current standards and practices and just complete with photos, captions, photo credit, and we'll send it for review. And we try to get back to people, I'd say in a couple of weeks. There's some that, you know, we need a second opinion and we'll send it to a second reviewer. Sometimes we're waiting for the rewrite. And then once it's accepted, we try to figure out where we're going to use it, if it's related to a certain monthly magazine theme that we have on the editorial calendar. And sometimes it's a question of who can get it uh, published sooner, the web or the magazine. And usually the web wins out because the magazine has a lot of people waiting. And as for the pay scale, we pay 300 for a single authored feature 200 for a department and we decide whether it's a feature or a department and usually if you're a photographer 300 for a cover and you could expect payment like 30 to 40 days after the article appears all right well not um, really in it for the money Right. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. usually uh, tell I gotta, people, you know, yeah. you could take your spouse out to a nice dinner with what we pay you. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to tell a quick funny story on the technical review. If you read it and I, for some reason, the guy's name's uh, escaping me, but we just did probably one of the most technical article series on trenches that has ever been published in the history I mean, we, it got into the types of dirts and not not in a just a general way. I mean, this was this was like some scientific uh, stuff that's like way beyond the standards and all. And and it was a multi wasn't it a two or three part series. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, Who wrote two that? parts and that Ron Zalaki. Yes. Yes. And I mean, this stuff I'm sitting here reading it and I'm like, this is like. <laughs> right. Perfect fire engineering material because nobody goes into the depth that this person is. But I've, in the meantime, I've sort of changed roles. Now I'm the editor in chief. And, and also I'm like sending Diane notes and I'm like, hey, this is great. But this is like so far out of my wheelhouse. Like, who is our technical rescue reviewer and it's like a, a little bit of a pause and it comes back and she goes i think you are <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say the the, the new tech the new technical rescue editor is that guy <laughs> because for, for years i was like the special ops chief and i was reviewing all the technical rescue articles and stuff for her. but you know obviously like you move on to different roles and you're not as connected or whatever and i don't know if there's anybody that could be connected enough to actually get in, in as a depth soil as expert, right? But that was, you know, it was phenomenal. Like, Hey, I'm a little scared of this. It sounds great, but who's our expert that we go to? And she goes, uh, you, <laughs> so we <laughs> had to knew? find somebody who knew, right? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I forgot. I had that role for a while. <laughs>
Well, guys, that's a good overview. Um, you were, we're trying to be sensitive to time, but before we segue off to our first guest, um, Diane, we'll just stay with you. Um, anything else that we didn't talk about that you think is important for writing or getting accepted for fire engineering? And maybe what are a couple common mistakes that we haven't talked about, you know, watch out points or things? And David, will, same thing. When she's done, same thing. Anything we missed? Just that people shouldn't give up. It's like submitting for FDIC. If sometimes we reject an article or we'll hold an article because we just ran an article on that exact same topic and we have to put a little space between them or we just don't have room in the issues. So people just shouldn't give up about writing for us. One thing that is very important is exclusivity. We don't want articles that you have sent to everyone under the sun. We want an article exclusively. And it's not a contest where we want to review it before our competitor reviews it and whoever says they won it first wins because we don't really work that way. We take the time with each article to do an in-depth analysis and review of it. And sometimes our best reviewers are the busiest reviewers because they are the subject matter expert in that area. And we need to give them time to give it a thorough, honest, objective review and work with the author to make it better. And sometimes people get offended when I send back a marked up manuscript and say the technical reviewer wants you to address this and this and this, and they say, well, I'm not changing it. It's perfect as is. And we have to reject it because they don't want to put in the work to make it a good article. So I would just say, if you really want to be published in a technical in-depth training magazine that's been around for 146 years, then you have to follow what they advise you to do to get printed. So you shouldn't give up. You should do any rewrites that are necessary. And it's like FDIC. If you get rejected once, have a thick skin and submit something else. Yeah. Join the rest of us who've been rejected multiple right. times. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to think that the, 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 the reviewers are looking at it, obviously, for the technical content but they're also reviewing it from the reader's perspective and they're trying to answer the questions and make it clear for the reader because they have experience in the, in the industry with doing that. And obviously, uh, you know, that's the a communication lesson. You know exactly what you're talking about, right? right? Uh, it's, it's in your head. It's like, that's why you can't proofread your own article right. because you are filling in all these blanks that the reader may not, be able to fill in. So sometimes we need a little more color or a little more clarification on certain things and shouldn't be offended. It, you, you should like, like that because it's going to make it such a better piece and make you look better and stay away from just the straight out opinion pieces that, you know, I mean, they're fun. They're, they're fun for us to like glance through and see you're like, Oh, this, ooh, they got an ax to grind here and right. I don't blame them or the whatever. And it's like, grind article. yeah, we like it. I mean, <laughs> We like make, don't necessarily disagree with it, but it's like we're not the place for for just opinion pieces. And the other thing is we're very strict about not uh, taking in the covert piece from uh, a, a manufacturer or a, or a sales 
person because we get we get tons of solicitations like, hey, I think I could contribute some content for you and all. And we do have a place for those if somebody wants to write uh, like an advertorial piece. There's places that those can go. But we are very upfront that, hey, this is a firefighter or a fire officer writing about this particular topic. And we're careful, even in our normal articles, like we will rarely see a product name. It'll be generic, you know, like it'll be hydraulic rescue tool or something. It won't be a product specific name because we're not trying to. One, we don't want them to have to review what we're saying about their their product. Uh, but just be careful with things like that, too. Yeah, I would just add as someone who evaluates articles and reviews them, um, I can't tell you how many times, especially in the last five, six years where I've had to go back to the author and say, it's cool that you're venting your spleen on this. And I get that you're fired up about it. You know, I can, I can tell, I get it, but there's no flow. It's stream of consciousness. There's no sequential. Not only is there no sequential path for anybody to learn anything, you're trying to cover 20 topics in one article. It's like pick one, you know, (laughs) and write about that. Don't write two sentences on 20 different things. And I really didn't learn anything other than it's of interest to you. And Really having to do the work of focusing down to what is it that I'm trying to say? And at the end of it, what what are the objectives I want them to get is such a healthy process in in educational material. And a good dose of that for some of the articles that I've reviewed and the encouragement I give to go back and do that has really proven helpful to them. Cool. All right. Well, I hope that serves as a good overview. Um, Just real quick before we start talking about FDIC, um, this is a fun moment. We get to bring in one of the, the finest people I've ever met and easily, uh, for, for me personally, and I, I don't think I'm going to be alone in this, one of the most iconic fire service figures and educators that I have ever been privileged to know. And it's, it's wonderful to be friends with the people who have impacted you. Uh, we're going to bring on the young and swarthy Bill Gustin. Um, Billy, are you in the house? I'm back and I'm unmuted. All right. <laughs> uh, Bill, I could spend uh, I could spend a long time and just embarrass you and embarrass myself going over all the things you've meant to the folks that are on this screen. Um, the amount that you've contributed to the craft and the way you've gone about your business, which is exemplary. Um, there's there's few people I know who have done it in quite the way you've done it and with the impact that you've done it. So uh, you are one of the biggest advocates I've ever met for Fire Engineering Magazine. Um, When your articles appear, I read them word for word and I read them again and again. I just wanted, after we've gone through all the nuts and bolts of here's how you do it, here's the way it's supposed to look, here's the topics we accept, all that stuff. I'd just like them to hear it from you. What does fire engineering mean to somebody who has done so much for the fire service and continues to do it? I've been reading fire engineering since 1971. I had my first article published in 1981, and you talk about in-depth. In my view, that's the engineering in fire engineering. That's what makes fire engineering unique in the variety of fire service publications, is what we do a deep technical dive, not always sexy, but with a lot of substance. And I love being affiliated with that. 
you uh, you have written some of the most substantive articles I have read. Um, talk to the individuals out there, Bill. Um, the future of the fire service. You know, we're all getting older. We're all transitioning, if you will. Um, talk to those folks that are going to watch this, that are on the job three, five, seven, ten years right now, and they're thinking about contributing, but they don't feel like they can reach quite the standard that an article from Bill Gustin serves. Talk to them about why they well, should write and the importance. I, I started off writing for another magazine, and then finally, you probably won't recognize these names, Dick Sylvia and Jim Casey. Uh, encouraged me to write. And uh, so I got my first article published, as I said, in 1981. So first of all, be an avid reader of fire engineering. I mean, be, you've been reading fire engineering since your whole adolescent or adult life. In fact, sometimes when I reject an article, I say, this guy must have never read fire engineering. There's a certain editorial style. You don't write like you're talking in the firehouse kitchen. But it's you and also lessons learned. Uh, you said experiences. And a lesson learned could be a mistake that you made. Now, I don't expect you to bash your department, but a mistake that you made. In, for instance, in the April edition, I wrote about operating above a fire. And I had a paragraph in there with the heading, a humiliating mistake. Don't be afraid to bring that up. What we learned, what we would do differently with 2020 eyesight. So it's, we want to read about incidents, some of which we were lucky. We thank the good Lord we weren't there. So we're going to right. learn from the tragedies right. and sometimes the embarrassment or humiliation of those that were there. Yeah, all for the specific purpose of we don't want anybody else to ever experience that humiliation if we can help it. Exactly right. And I think the future of the fire service is in good hands. We've got some of the people that are coming on the job today are really into it. And our rate of pay has gone up to the point now that if you're sensible and you live within your means, you don't have to spend 48 hours busting your butt working a second job. You can be totally into this job and you'll be more creative when it comes to writing. So everybody experiences something unique. And even if you and I, Mike, went to the same incident, we would be looking at that through different eyes. My uh, perspective is going to be different than yours, Mike. And so it you're not reinventing the wheel. You're not just repeating a report. It's how it affected you, how you saw it from your uh, perspective. Uh, and, and you said it. You hit the, the nail on the head, all of you. Uh, you don't have to be on a busy department. You don't have to be on a big department. You know, you have one unique uh, incident that maybe uh, validates uh, some research recently. Like, uh, for instance, I, I made a submittal uh, right after UL uh, ish, uh, pr presented their search and rescue tactics for single-family, single-story homes. We had a textbook rescue like that. So I, I wrote it from our perspective, which is 
an analysis of a rescue within the context of the UL study. So I'm not giving a book report on the UL study. Right. I, I'm, I'm giving a book report of how the UL study was applicable to our um, experience. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Well, buddy, thank you for, I know you're a busy man. Tell the department we appreciate you, uh, appreciate them letting us have you for a few minutes. And um, I hope you can hear the passion in his voice, longtime contributor. His first article was in 1981. I think I was listening to Kiss Records as a sophomore in high school in 1981. So uh, if that puts a time date on it for you, Billy. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I write for, I just got an email last week. You're going to publish an article in October. That brings as much joy yeah. and self of satisfaction as it did in 1981. Yeah. Also, I love my fire department, and I want to showcase Miami-Dade Fire Rescue Department. Yeah. The other thing is, is that there is, you know, there's an electronic edition of fire engineering, and there's a print edition, but there is also another edition you not may not be aware of. That's the cosmic edition. That's the edition that my dad up in heaven reads, and I make him proud every time one of these articles comes out. Yeah. Amen, brother. Amen. Thank you, so thank you my friend. Me on. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. Re really appreciate it. God Thanks bless very everybody. much. Buddy. All right. Bye bye. Okay. Um, we're gonna we're gonna finish with fire engineering there. I can't think of a better way to cap it off than what you just heard. Uh, you guys didn't know there was a cosmic edition, Diane. Now you have to prepare for the cosmic edition. So um, I'm not sure how you're gonna edit that one, but. Uh, now we're going to talk about um, FDIC, the greatest fire show on earth. And uh, our simple goal is, again, to pull back the curtain and let you see that it ain't all that mystical. It ain't all that uh, uh, opaque about the process that you need to take and the steps you need to take to give yourself the best chance to be submitted. So, Michael, you got question number one there. Go ahead and launch us into FDIC. Well, this is an easy one. For me, and it's for David, um, why should folks submit the FDIC? Same reason as writing for the magazine. It's the opportunity for you to share your message, your experience with the fire service. And uh, it's just a it's a phenomenal platform uh, to to be there and not only share your experiences in, in a classroom or a hot class or a workshop, but it's just like any other teaching experience. You're going to learn back from the audience and from the networking that goes on outside of your class that's that's being part of the whole experience. So, uh, um, yeah, you just got to you just have to have that desire to want to share your message is, is the most important. And very honestly, um, I was blessed to um, get my Lifetime Achievement Award from Bobby Halton. But I said this, uh, myself, um, Bill Gustin, um, not as much Mike Galliano, but a lot of us are getting older. It's time to put the, to, for someone else, for the younger generation, the young brothers and sisters to pick up the torch, to carry this torch. But you have to be willing to put yourself out there. 
And listen, rejection isn't fun. Rejection sucks. And I was rejected my first two times trying to teach for, for FDIC. But that's okay. It's part of what we do. So you've got to be willing to set your ego aside and put yourself out there to become an instructor. Yep. Yeah, I would, uh, if I could add to that real briefly, number one, Lifetime Achievement Award win, very deserved, number one. Number two, um, following on to what David added there, um, we need you to submit. We need what you know. We need your class. We need the stuff that, that only you have experienced in the way you've experienced it. And there, folks have seen all these topics through different instructors' eyes. They've, they've seen the ladder throws and they've seen the carries and they've seen the lessons learned. They've seen how to lay hose and the best way to do a hose bed. And what do you do when you have a ruptured segment or what do you do when you've got an extended lay? It's not like we haven't seen that. What we haven't seen is we haven't seen it through your eyes. We haven't seen the way your department has done it, the different nuances, the thing that you've overcome, that we really weird difficult landscaping of that apartment building and the way you navigated that landscaping or that stairwell and the different type of stairwells and the way you get hose up and down. That's how the craft moves forward. That's how we progress. And I think you'd concur, David, we need those submissions and not everything's going to make it, but I'll, but some things are, and it's a big deal. For sure. And, uh, um, you know, on a lighter note, just because you two guys are hosting this podcast does not guarantee you a spot in 2025. <laughs> we're aware. We're, we're not, aware. We already know. That's, that's not a for sure tactic. Uh, although I think the acceptance letters have already gone out for 2024 and you're safe. But uh, um, nobody's 100% safe. As Diane's shirt used to say, this could be your last year. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, Mike and I both made sure we got accepted before we decided to do this podcast. That would have been embarrassing. <laughs> so, all right, so uh, I get to go to the Queen, Diane. Um, I just saw this on Facebook the other day. Somebody was asking this question, and I was going to answer it for him, and I decided not to because I knew we were going to ask it of you. So I want the official answer. Um, Folks want to know what are we talking about when we submit to fire engineer or to FDIC? How many submissions do you typically get a year? How many ballpark are accepted? And what is the ratio of you know class, old old classes that ran last year, brand new classes, brand new instructors, all that type of stuff? The official answer, so we can say here's what it is from the top. Well, interestingly enough, uh, this was the biggest year for submissions ever. We set a record of over a thousand submissions and we only have room for about 300. So uh, we like to break it down that it's one third repeat instructors with a repeat class that was very popular and had big student numbers, a repeat instructor with a brand new class and brand new instructors with, you know, the last third is brand new instructors with a brand new class. And you don't have to have taught at FDIC before, but you had to have taught your class before. 
FDIC is not the place to break in a class that you've never given anywhere. It's the big stage. It's like the Broadway as opposed to the off-Broadway. And that's not the time to be testing out something you've never given. So keep that in mind. We don't look to see, have you taught with us? But we do ask that question on the submission form. And if you haven't taught it anywhere, it's usually an automatic rejection. So test out your classes to your department, to your local academy, to neighbor de neighboring departments, and get it ready for the big stage so we can pick it, you know, in the future. And can I just so, say something in onto that a little bit, Diane? Yeah. Because my first FDIC teaching, now I had given my class before in other locales and everything else around me. But now I'm in front of the whole nation. I'm not local. I'm now in front of the whole nation. I had an hour and 45 minutes. I was done in an hour and 15 because I talked so fast because I was so <laughs> nervous and I was pacing. And I'm like, holy crap, how do I fill up the rest of the time here? What do I do? I don't want them to think I'm letting the students out early. So, again, this is how you prepare yourself. You get into that flow of the class is by teaching it other places. Now, if you're John Norman, John Salka, Mike Galliano, Mike Champo, and you put together a new class, those people, we know they know how to teach. They've taught so many classes, but we want to know if this is, you're trying to present to FDIC. If you haven't given this anywhere before, people are going to be looking at you like, what are you trying to do? And it is scary. The first time you ever teach at FDIC, it's it's humbling, and it's kind of very. You get very nervous. Yeah, I, Michael, I cannot imagine a scenario where I would bring up a new topic in a new class, uh, and that I would not vet it somewhere substantially. Yep. I would. There, there's there's too many rough edges in classes that need to be rounded off. There's too many things that you think are going to land the correct way that don't. There's a way to say things. There's a, there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, I would not even consider debuting a brand, just a brand new topic, unless it was a derivative of stuff I'd already been doing, just done in a different packaging. Um, I would definitely road test it with local departments and, and other places. And so um, I think that's an expectation. David, let's just follow on with that. Go ahead and talk about that. Why is that? Why is that so important to you that that people, um, you know, actually teach somewhere? They 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 vet it somewhere, and then if you would just finish up with how do you feel about, you know, folks are teaching at conferences all over the place. Mm -hmm. So talk about that a little bit. Do you care if they teach it yeah. at the New York State Chiefs and those types of things? Right. Yeah. Well, um, uh, Champo is helping me put together a list, and we're just like scouring social media. And there's a fire conference, there's a fire training conference somewhere every week, and sometimes multiple ones. So there's at a, at a minimum, you should have taught the material at your department. Now, if that's the only place you've taught it, um, depending on what it is, that it might be such a jam up topic that's relevant. And we're going to vet you out a little bit and, and see you, you might get accepted with that. But if we know that you've taught at a few of the other uh, conferences and sort of started to build your yourself out there a little bit and you've presented it, obviously, you've had time to make some tweaks to it, some changes. And we're actually doing that for for your benefit as, as well as ours. 
We want you to be established and we want you to get an audience. We don't want to invite you to FDIC and two people show up for your class. We want you to have an audience and feel like you're contributing. I mean, there's nothing more demoralizing than than having a room set up for 150 and, and two people show up and you're kind of like, oh, well, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm nobody. So the, the whole process is designed to set you up for success. That's why we ask for articles. And back to the article thing, one of the best things to do is to get get your article published and then develop your class around the article that's been published uh, already because you've already you've already established yourself with the audience with that topic. So now you've got an hour and a half to expand on what we didn't have room for in the you know in the article or you can go into depth or you can throw some scenarios in to to prove your point or whatever. So it's it's vitally important and and I think that's a misconception um, this out there. And it's so hard for me not to respond to every post on social media, whether it be about rejection and the reasons why and all that. And, you know, it's like, you got to have thick skin both ways. We have to have thick skin too. And, and not answer our phone after the yeah, letters yeah, go we out. Go incognito for a little while. But the things that you see that just absolutely floor you that people will say is the reason that they didn't get selected. And um, and I've, I've been watching these for years because I've been like, you know, uh, before I was in this role, I was still evaluating about three or 400 proposals a year in, in my little sections that I was looking at. And, uh, and, and a couple, couple of things stand out. And one is, is, have you ever taught it anywhere before? Um, and the other one is like not putting your bio or your experience on your on your proposal. Um, and a lot, I guess a lot of people may be afraid that they're going to be affiliated with a department um, and they're not sure that their department is going to sanction that affiliation. But we, we need to know where you're coming from. And again, back to the high rise command. You know, if you're proposing to teach high rise command and we look and your department doesn't have high rises, then we've got to look and see, OK, well, did you work somewhere else where they did or, or whatever? But it's a whole a whole process there. And um, when we asked for an article and, and this goes back a few years, but I remember somebody posting is like the ego of those people. I went to the class and they said that one of the ways to get your uh, proposal accepted was to to publish and to, to submit an article. And then they were like, I'm not in the business of selling magazines for somebody. I'm a fire instructor. And they totally missed the point. It's like we're not doing it to take advantage and to get a little extra out of you. One, we're going to pay you for the article if we use it anyway. But we're trying to help you establish yourself. We're you trying may to be, fill your room at FDIC. Yeah, you may be a legend in the southwest corner of the smallest town in Oklahoma, and and everybody there may know you. But if I don't recognize your name, Diane doesn't recognize your name, Champo, any of our other reviewers, they don't recognize and say, "Hey, I went to such and such a conference. I saw this guy." Uh, this gal, that they're an up-and-comer. Their message is great. 
If we don't know that, then we got to help you build that so that somebody will be interested in your in your class. So um, I think sometimes you you uh, you, you may kind of come into it thinking maybe you're a little bit bigger of a deal than everybody else does. And it is very humbling to get that rejection later, but it's like, nobody knows who you are and, and you can't, you can't take away the value of a relationship. Like you, you have to establish yourself and, and, and let us know that you're, you're how you don't have to be the expert on the subject, but you have to have expertise in the subject. And one way you do that is by sending us an article that we can take a look at and vet and let it's not just me or Diane. It's a whole group of people looking at it. And uh, it's vitally important that you that you have something you're teaching that you know about or have done and that that it's something of interest. And, um, and Diane talked about the thirds. That's the goal. We don't always hit it exact. So if somebody goes back and tries to research and put numbers, we may end up not being perfect on that, depending on who who submitted and all that's sort of what we try, try to accomplish to keep everything fresh and, and moving. But, um, you know, we had some tough choices this year with, uh, we had a couple of classes that we didn't pick up that have been taught. I don't know, probably five, six, seven years in a row. And it was like, you know, it's time for something different, uh, and maybe those people could have submitted a different title um, or it was an opportunity that we were like, OK, we've done this seven times. Let's give this new person a chance with this really good proposal that everybody rated real high. And this person's, you know, taught it several times. So it's a balance. And, and I'll tell you, it is not easy. It is painful to be in that room. And uh, and that's just you know, with me. Yeah. Yeah. There's five of us. Uh, I guess this year there was five of us in there. And uh, it's 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 a production of organizing the information. Sometimes we have to take a time out and make a few phone calls to find out some more information and all. But we, we try to do the best we can with what we have to work with. And we're constantly improving the process, too. Um, one of the things we had this year was we were able to see the average Raider score without having to look at every single Raiders uh, um, score that they put in. So let's say six people looked at your proposal and your overall average was a 1.5 out of five. Well, we were able to sort the proposals on a spreadsheet and see which ones were the highest rated in that topic. And it didn't automatically knock you out because there may have been something else like we knew that you didn't put in your proposal. Maybe it was somebody we had already worked with before and they forgot to add this piece or whatever. And we knew that up front. So there, there's still a lot of, there's a combination of subjectivity with the ratings and then objectivity of our personal knowledge of, of folks and, and what they've contributed. And, and, you know, flat out, if we've got three JAMA proposals for uh, RIT, you know, let's just to pick that as a topic, we got three JAM, I mean, just all rated really high. And then we go and look and one of the people in there has submitted two articles over the last year on RIT 
and the other two we haven't ever seen any work from and all, then we're naturally going with the person who submitted content, all things being given, you know, equal, equal playing ground. So it's, we approach it from what's the best for our show and our audience versus what's best for you. And, and if, you know, nobody wants to get rejected, but, Look at the look at the odds. And then we could we could even sort it down into topics and give you even it's just like the articles, you know, with the leadership versus the tactics. You know, if if we out of those thousand nine proposals we got, some of them are hot, some of them are workshops, but probably 300 of the thousand nine were leadership proposals. And what do we take, Diane? Maybe, maybe twenty leadership classes on the on the high end, and that's a lot. Right. I mean, when you're comparing that to some other subjects, we're right. taking twenty. But your chances of getting picked for one of those leadership articles, twenty out of three hundred, are a lot lower than four people who submitted for the well stretch or are stretching up a stairwell or something like that. Cause you know, they got like a 25% chance again picked because we need that topic. And we, we try to balance, like we don't want everything to be engine company or everything to be leadership. We got another formula that we try to balance it out so that there's something for everybody. There's a few technical rescue courses. There's EMS courses, there's truck company courses, courses. There's some on search, some on forcible entry. There's some on uh, fire investigations and things like that. So, so we try to balance it out, you know, uh, with the whole thing. And, and it's, it's unfortunate, but there is no magic bullet because it's, it, you could do everything right. You, we could publish four articles. You could do a podcast and make a submission and as bad as we want it, we don't have room for it, right. you know? And we look at that. We're like, okay, this person's really done a lot of stuff. They did everything we told them. But the problem is we have too many in that category that took a priority because maybe they were a little more of an updated material or, or whatever. So you just have to do everything you can in your power and realize that even that is not always a guarantee, but your persistence is going to give you the most uh, chances. And and we had a guy uh, this year, not, not mentioning any names, but it's like, I saw this name. I've seen this guy teach a few times, uh, have a little bit of knowledge about him, And I'm like, this person's never taught for us, have they? And they're like, nope. And I'm like, had they put in for like 10 years in a row? And Diane started laughing. She goes, yeah, they have. And, I'll, and I was like, well, guess what? Yeah. This guy's getting a chance this year. Yeah. Great story. Great story. You know? I mean, you have to keep in mind that with a thousand submissions and we only take 300 classes, 700 people are going to be really unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> and there's nothing yeah. we can do about it. We're limited by the physical classroom numbers in the Indiana Convention Center. Mm-hmm. Well, not only are, are those 700 going to be unhappy, but so are all of their acolytes and whatever groups they're involved in right, because they right, post, right. I didn't get posted. I saw a lot of I'm those. I'm a member right. of the Chainsaw Mafia. Why didn't I get selected? You know, 
Can um, I talk so, about some of the reasons for rejection besides what David already mentioned? Sure. Some people submit classes that mirror classes we already do with people who have taught them for years and they pack a room. So it's like if somebody is going to submit the art of go, no go, and Mike Galliano teaches that every year to 300, 400 students, we're not going to give up on Galliano and pick someone new. We're going to be loyal to the person who has produced for us for years. So that's one problem people have. Sometimes they submit a class topic that is just too niche. I mean, we want to fill the classroom. We don't want to fill a phone booth. And if your topic is too narrow and we don't think people are going to come, we're going to pick something else that is going to just fill the room. Another uh, reason you might get rejected is just like with the magazine, if you don't look like you're teaching to current NFPA standards or current, you know, UL research and tactics, we think that maybe you're not the expert in that subject if you don't know that a new standard or a new study has come out. Um, another reason is if you don't, I think David mentioned this, if you don't really fill out the proposal and show that you have relevant experience. I mean, are we going to take a leadership class from Frank Viscuso, who gets 700 students, or somebody who says they have two years in the fire service? I mean, somebody with so few years should not be teaching leadership and management classes. And then, like David said, sometimes there's absolutely nothing wrong with your submission and we don't have room for it. And that's the one that hurts the most. I mean, and it's somebody that we know and has done a lot for us. And it's it's horrible. Right. <laughs> but so, I mean, well, those and, are the reasons people get a, you know, rejected. It's no magic formula to get accepted. I mean, there's people who have taught for years that sit one year out. And, you know, we do the best we can with what we have to work with. And it's not a click. I mean, people are like, oh, it's a click and you have to, you know, know someone to get accepted. It's not a click. You know, it's like everyone had their first article in their first class, at, you know, and it's equal opportunity for everyone to try. Yep. And the other one that we see that that is probably one of the hardest not to uh, respond to is they, they get rejected and they can't figure out why. And then they go through a litany of stuff and then there's sympathizers that come to and they say, it's all about the money. Right. It's all about the money. And, and I always laugh with that. And they, and they even tie in the fact that we want an article, that it's all about the, right. the money. And I think we, we explained that well enough. But what other conference invites you in, flies you out, and pays for you to stay for the entire rest of the conference? So like these hot instructors that we that we pick up for a hot class, they come in uh, either Friday or Saturday and set up their class and stay in the hotel and they're done on Tuesday night, unless they happen to be extremely fortunate and are also teaching a, a classroom or something, which sometimes happens. But even let's say they're not teaching anything else for the show. If it was all about the money, then we would tell them to leave Tuesday two night. Two nights, right. We'd give them two nights. 
like other we, conferences. We have them stay for the entire conference till till Friday through Friday so that they can go to classes so that they can be a part of the whole experience so that they can go walk the show floor and see the exhibitors and see what's new because we want it to be of benefit to them too. And that's just unheard of. It doesn't make business sense if it's all about the money to do that. We would have you in for the day you teach or the night before, and then we would send you home as soon as your class was over. And that's just not the way we do business. And we're very fortunate that our bosses understand that and support it. And we've said it. I know I, I made a big a big spill to the hot instructors about it, but it's like we do not make money off of the hot classes. We lose a lot of money. That's why people don't do them at conferences the way we do with charter buses, with facilities, with safety officers and instructors and all. It is a huge chunk of money, but it is considered in our culture an investment because we are investing in that piece of education for you to come have the opportunity to, to take it. Does the show make money? Absolutely. We couldn't exist if the That's show true. didn't make money. But That's we true. spend a lot of money. The conference as a whole makes money. So there is an element that is about making enough money to be able to make a profit, but it also allows us to do the education piece. If it was just about money, there would be no education and it would be exhibits only. And then we wouldn't have near the expense of renting the convention center classrooms that I, I, I saw the, uh, the, the AV bill uh, proposal for just, you, you take it for granted as an instructor, your, your computer, your screen, your microphone set up in your room multiplied by all the classrooms, the chairs and the table set up. And it is astronomical what it costs to pull just, off the yeah. education. Just the AV set up per room is like over a thousand dollars. So you're looking at over a million dollars in AV support just to, for you to be able to come and teach your class at our, at our conference. So so I always have to restrain myself in that. And, and, but I, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, sugarcoat it. It's like, if you're in business, you have to make money to exist. Right. People, people have salaries, there's taxes to be paid and all that. But when it comes to the education piece of that show, none of the classes we pick have anything to do with making money. They have everything to do with you being established and being somebody that is going to be able to attract people to come to our show to take your class. No, well said. And I, I want to, I, I actually want to vent and I'm not gonna, um, I, I think the, I think the idea that it's all about the money is one of the, the most absurd straw man arguments I've ever heard. It's a, it's a total straw man that makes no there's no basis of reality in it if you apply it across the board. Every, every, almost every person I've ever seen say that love the fact that they go to a firehouse and they make money to support their families fighting fire. That's their business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they have a Dang. second business off the side doing roofing or construction or laying carpet or whatever. And they wouldn't even consider going and doing that second business and not getting paid to do it. But transposing it back to 
the, the men and women who put together the greatest fire show on earth that they should not be paid or the educators who spend so much time trying to create a classroom environment and a lesson plan that's good, that somehow that should all be done for free. Um, it's a spectacularly embarrassing thing to say. So let, let me keep it positive. If I get going, um, it's, a, it's already fired me up. So um, I just want to tell you before we bring in our next guest, and, and, and Michael, um, I'd like you to opine on this a little bit too. Michael and I are both class, classroom evaluators. So we get a, in, a, in certain tracks, we get your submissions and we go through them. Let me just give you from my perspective a few of the things that jump out. They'll dovetail with some of what these guys have said. Um, the very first thing I do is I look at your name. Um, whether you like it or not, your name tells a story. And this is an adult conversation, so you need to behave like an adult, and you need to recognize that the way you perform in your job, your reputation in your job, the way you conduct yourself, both when you're at the conference, when you're out socializing, um, the way other people speak about you, and the impression I get when I either read your articles or see your class, that tells a story about your name. And when your name's spoken, there's this story that plays in my mind of, oh, yeah, boy, rock solid, good citizen, da da da, da. Or I read your name and it's like, oh, yeah, I just read some of the social media posts, social media posts, and you rip on your department, you rip on people that disagree with you, you badmouth this, you badmouth this, da da da. There's a story attached to your name. Now, if I don't know your name, that's another thing. I'm going down the line. I read your name, I read your topic. Just because your topic doesn't appeal to me doesn't mean that your class isn't a good one because I'm not interested in everything. There's some things that I'm really interested in, and those are going to appeal immediately, and I can't help it. I'm probably going to be favorable. But just because I don't know your topic well or it isn't quite where I'm at, my very next step is I'm going to go down. I'm going to look at your bio. I'm going to look where you come from, and I'm going to look where you've taught the class before. I was blown away. I did over 200 submissions this time. I was blown away at the percentage of submissions that you folks did where you did you, you either didn't fill it out or you, you haven't taught your class that you want to teach at the Super Bowl. You want to teach at FDIC, the Super Bowl, the World Series of Fire Service Instruction, and you hadn't taught it anywhere. You cannot get past, no matter how good your submission is with me, if you haven't vetted it somewhere. I'm a strong believer in you should have taught your class at your fire department. Whatever it is that you were doing, you should have shared it with your fellow brothers and sisters in your own place with your own team. Now, there are probably some examples where uh, your department won't let you teach it. Okay, teach it to surrounding departments. Teach it to the local fools organization. Go there on a Tuesday night when they're looking for training and teach it with the fools. You should have taught it at one of the hundreds, if not thousands, of fire conferences that are doing call for papers every day. There's a call for paper on Facebook every day for the, you know, the, the North Idaho Regional Fire and Smoke Showing Conference. Go submit there, teach it there, have it vetted. There's a, an importance to that process. And I'm telling you as an evaluator, it's very important to me. If you haven't taught it somewhere, you can't teach it at FDIC, at least if you want my vote or my grade. Then I go to your proposal. I'm looking for succinct, concise language that runs me through. Here's what you, here's the insight or the thing you have, and here's how I'm going to get the students to the conclusions. 
I've got to meander around too much and try to figure out what you're talking about. I'm not that bright, gang. I'm going to probably just kind of bail on it because I got 199 other submissions to look at. Um, that's the bulk of what I'm looking for. If, if that's in place, you've got a real good chance of, of me giving you a favorable grade. And I feel like I'm a pretty easy grader. Um, I don't know all the topics. I had three submissions on psychedelic psychedelics and psychedelic mushrooms in uh, um, therapy training session. And he what picked all three of them. Yeah, and that three of them. But, I, but I put you had to surprise you had to supply samples, samples at the conference. You know, um, I don't know much about that topic, um, but I did try very hard to go down and see if it was done in a sequential manner and at least give it a fair grade. So you can get on the radar of evaluators. But those are a few things, at least from my perspective, that I'm looking for. Michael, you're an evaluator. What jumps out at you? I go through most of the same things you do, and I look at what you have. If you don't take the time to fill out the evaluation, now I'm going to give you a tip from somebody who's done quite a few submissions to FDIC and been rejected a couple of times. I do it in Word first so I can proof it, I can read it, I can do it, and I keep it. I save the document. So I know what I'm submitting. I know what I'm going through. If you can't take the time to fill out the submission on your class, if I go and I look for your bio, your resume, or the learning objective, or the teaching methodology, whatever it is, why are you teaching this subject? And you haven't filled that out? It tells me you're not involved enough to fill that out, I'm not going to give you a good mark because you're not doing the thing. Take the time to put that together. Put it together beforehand. Proofread it. Bring it to some friends. Have them look at it. Go over it before you submit it and make sure that it's up to speed, that you have your bio, you have your resume, you have where you've taught the classes and take the time to put them in. And again, sometimes they ask about classes. I've taught classes with Michael all over the country. And I say, we've taught this class nationwide, okay, uh, for, on numerous occasions. That's fine. But if you're teaching it and you're not someone we know, and I don't know that, if you don't tell me that you've taught this to people, it's going to be probably a no for me. You know, let's let's uh, do a, a cool thing. Uh, you've heard from all of us. Uh, let's bring in somebody who fought and battled and scrapped to get their class um, accepted by FDIC. So, Mark, if uh, if uh, Candace is still hanging on, we've gone a little longer than hey, <laughs> there she is, um, Candace. If I tried to read all the things you have done in life. This would be a five-hour podcast. You are you are literally one of the most optimistic, positive, and dare I say, accomplished people that I've come across in a long time. This is Dr. Candace McDonald, the deputy CEO of the National Volunteer Fire Council, formerly worked for NASA, a specialist and a federal agent, firefighter, inspector, EMT, CE instructor, adjunct professor, travel agent. <laughs> And I'm just scratching the surface. Um, here's why we wanted John, Candace. Um, you have obviously had success, right? You you have written for fire engineering. You've taught at FDIC. You're on the advisory board, and you are one of the evaluators. 
But would you share with some folks that are struggling to make it the process that you went through to actually get to the point of being successful? Yeah, so sure. Thank, first, I want to thank you guys for having me. It's exciting to be here with all of you, uh, people that I've looked up to for a very long time and learned so much from. So let's go back to 2013. I submitted for FDIC, and again, I was not selected to teach. The rejection letter came with a big no, but there was some fine print with that no. And it was from Diane, and it said, you know, you haven't been accepted, but please consider submitting articles on your topic. Well, that's exactly what I did. I had two different classes that had been rejected. So I took those class ideas and I turned them into articles and and not those articles uh, were accepted to be published. So that was a huge win. But in addition to writing, I started to talk to other instructors. I asked them for advice. They became my mentors. This led to me reevaluating the topic that I wanted to teach on. I learned that I needed a topic that was not being covered and that filled a big need in the fire service. So I decided that reputation management in the fire service would be my area. It was already an area that I was submerged in. This was a topic that the organization that I belonged to had written a national white paper on and the solutions to address this issue were the focus of my research for my master's degree. So I had it already there. So I was in there. So I developed a class and then I started teaching reputation management at state and other national conferences so that I could gain credibility as an instructor. At that time, you know, again, this was an area in the fire service that wasn't being heavily taught. This was before my good friend Tom Merrill was teaching his wonderful class on professionalism. So every chance that I got, I submitted to teach this course. I was teaching at the state level and the local level and anybody that would let me do it, I was there so that I could master my message and become more confident in my delivery. I also asked seasoned instructors to provide me with candid, honest feedback. So how could I improve my message? So as I was teaching that, I would ask people that I trusted, hey, what could I do better? You know, is there something that 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 maybe was a little off in my delivery? And I asked for that honest feedback from people that I trusted and they gave it to me. And I really appreciated that because I knew to rise to a level to be FDIC worthy, I needed that input so that I could get better. So my first article was published and I was so excited. It was a victory, but I didn't want that to be a one and done. So I came up with a system. Every time that Diane said, we're going to publish this article, I said, okay, I got to start writing another one because my thought was I would not let them forget who I was. They were not going to forget who the girl from Ohio was. So, um, so that's what I did. I started writing on anything that I felt that other volunteers could learn from. And I've written on so many different topics from reputation management to technology, recruitment, retention, to responding to IED incidents after my own department had a little experience with an IED. And I knew as a, a federal agent, I had that experience that I could offer to volunteers. So I started submitting on those things and I continued to submit to FDIC. But as time went on, my submissions got stronger because I had this proven documented history of experience of, and, and knowledge and that made me qualified to teach. Gosh, so much has changed since then. You know, eventually I was asked to join the FDIC Fire Engineering Advisory Board. And then I just finally submitted my first book on recruitment and retention. So really excited about that. But looking back, I guess, and what advice that I would offer to those that are looking to teach at FDIC is master an area that people are not already teaching in or have a different spin on it. Again, you've heard the experts say, you know, what is your what? How do you view it? You know, what are you doing differently? What can you offer? 
offer people. Develop a class that you're an expert in, not on an idea or information on a class that you attended. Get out there and teach that class locally at the state level and other national conferences. And be sure to write articles on your topic and submit them. So that's the secret ingredient. Be a master of your message and at the microphone. And I also think it's important to note, just because you were selected in the past does not mean you're going to get a free ticket to be selected again. It is a competitive process. So what does that mean? That means you have to continue to be a master in your trade. You have to go out there, stay relevant in your topic so that you have the competitive advantage. So I think that's that's my piece of advice that I would offer to the people listening. Whew. That's a uh, that's a master class in uh you know, maybe we should say, you know what? We should have just played that at the beginning and said, yeah. there you go. Say. And that's why she teaches at FDIC. <laughs> Show's over. Yep. Yeah. Well, Candice, um, yeah, you're an inspiration to a lot of us um, in so many different ways. And that was uh, so well articulated. I hope it provides inspiration for others that you can do it, right? I mean, how many times were you rejected before you actually got in? Like two or three times. It was several times. But, you know, I, I just I was like, OK, I'm going to keep trying. And again, Diane laid out. Here's a tip. Submit an article like it wasn't, you know, just a, oh, you're rejected. Sorry. But it was a hey, here's something that you can do. So I read the fine print and I acted. And you didn't everybody react. gets and that you advice. Didn't react. You acted. Yes. And I think that's an important life lesson in general. You know, so often in life, we do get no's. We get rejected. It's part of life, but it's what you do. If you go on and you're you're grumpy on social media because you didn't get in, you know, that doesn't send a real good message to the rest of us that see that. But if you're like, hey, what could I do better? What do I need to grow? And look for a mentor. You know, ask the people, hey, can you take a look at this? Hey, Mike, can you take a look at this? You know, what would you do differently? You know, hey, Diane, what do you think about this idea? They're going to give you your honest feedback their honest feedback right right amen well doctor thank you so much that was as brilliant a doctoral thesis as i could have hoped for so uh very very good job and uh, appreciate your friendship and look forward to hearing more from you so thanks so much thank you yeah well following on from that um let's bring in our next guest um uh, candace left us there with the idea that um when you get rejected, not once, not twice, three times, or as David described, we had somebody, you know, rejected 10 times who all of a sudden is teaching at the conference, um, not reacting in a negative way, not throwing a tantrum, not getting on, you know, ventyourspleenfiresight.com and disparaging every one of us who evaluated in fire engineering. Um, how you react and how you respond goes a long way. Um, I want to bring on um, my friend Joe DeVito. Joe, are you in the house? Do we got you, man? Yeah, I'm standing by, listening and just uh, enjoying every minute. I think I'm in the wrong room. Is it the Legends room? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're you're in the wrong description of the room, but yeah, you know. yeah. (laughs) Um, Let let me tell you folks who Joe is, and he's got a great story. Um, It it had its, um, for me anyway, it had its capstone at the fire engineering board meeting this past August. But um, Joe's an interim battalion chief paramedic in southwest Florida. He started in 1991 at, in, in Long Island. Michael? Long Island. Um, so you'll recognize the accent a little bit. Um, <laughs> no accent. Very, very, very engaged in instruction with um, fire behavior, thermal imaging, all that, that stuff. He's uh, um, 
you know what? The bio is so long. Let's just say, let's say it this way. This guy is qualified to talk about fire and teach about fire stuff. Now, Joe, your story is really interesting because you got rejected, didn't you, man? Yeah, four times. And um, Okay, so rejected four times. Joe, did any of those rejections feel awesome? <laughs> no, absolutely not. It was huh? uh, it was hard to swallow, especially because every time I kept thought I was getting better every time. This is this is going to be my submission. This is going to be my year. You know, I, I wrote an article, got published in Fire Engineering. Oh, there's no way they could turn me down now. I'm I'm moving forward. And then <laughs> boom. And I was like, oh man, okay, cool. What's next? You know, what else can so, I build off? So of? how so so you had the Joe, you had the rejection. Yeah, brother. You had the feeling of, man, I've done some stuff, I've gotten better, da 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 da. da. I'll tell you what I didn't see from you, which I found compelling. I didn't see a big bunch of vomit on social media about how corrupt the process was and it's all about the money and what a bunch of dirt bags and it's all a big social club. Um, tell, tell the folks that are going to be in the position you are where they're working hard, they're being rejected. Talk about your process um, and, and the path that you took. Sure. I, I think the big thing about being a firefighter in general is character. You know, and, and, and I think sometimes it's too easy to forget that when when you can. Um, maybe you're not in person with individuals, I think sometimes it might be a little bit easier to, to just kind of let stuff go that you normally wouldn't. Um, but, but I think the big thing about it is that you need to stay humble. You need to look at the people around you. When I look at some of the names that didn't get callbacks, I was like, what do you mean this guy got rejected? This this guy has been teaching for years. He's been taught. He's been taught at FDIC before. He's he's been published, you know. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, that means that I could keep going, and 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 there will be room for me. Um, I I I believe uh, somebody said it earlier is that as as the older generation moves out, it's up to us to start to move in and to um, pick up on the road that you guys paved. And, 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 and I think that, that we need to realize how the universe works. And, and sometimes I think that the more time, effort and energy we put into it, eventually the universe is going to give it back to us. And, and I think that, that this year was, um, was, was the year that the universe said, you're ready, you're ready. You know, I mean, um, I I put in articles, presentation submissions, uh, classes, PowerPoints, and I always reached out to people and said, hey, what can I do to make this better? Like like uh, you guys are talking about earlier, how can I improve? It's easier to, to point fingers, but sometimes you need to look in the mirror and say, hey, what can I do to make myself better? And I think that's in every aspect of life. Um, I think... The craziest thing about it is the whole time you're fighting to get that yes. And when you get the yes, you're you're so shocked <laughs> that you aren't really even sure if it's real, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But one thing I will say is that through all those no's, you know, make sure you congratulate the people who did get the yes, because one day that, that that's going to be you. You know, and make sure that that it's okay to to cry with the no, not this year's. And that's what I say. It's not a no. It's not a no, not this year. 
you know, and, and, and I think a lot of us are proof of that, including you guys sitting on the board right now. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's stuff that people need to understand is that in this world of instant gratification, it's not always that way. And I don't know if. Well, let me. Uh, yeah, Joe, let me uh, let me fill this out and finish it up with this. Um, I saw your last rejection. I witnessed it. I saw it happen. Yeah. I saw your response on social media. I'm always prepared the day after, you know, the letters start coming out. I'm always prepared for the uh, some of the things that I'm going to read. And it, and it disappoints me sometimes the names that I see and the things that they say. I read your last rejection. And you wrote such a, um, I thought, such a mature, positive, proactive reaction to being rejected for the fourth time. You were obviously disappointed, but the reaction was congratulatory to those who got who got uh, accepted. And there was written in your reaction the steadfast verbiage that you were going to do whatever it took, speak to whoever you had to, hone your class, hone your stuff, write more articles. And I believe you'll remember I actually responded. Yeah, you did. And I think my response was pretty simple. Yep. You can consider me on your side. Yep. Anything I can do to help you, all you got to do is ask. I make that offer five, ten times after FDIC goes on. And here's the cool thing. Joe's story ends with an acceptance, like you said, right? Yeah, we got accepted huge. to FDIC. Yep, yep. Brother, how exciting was it as a capstone to this journey? And I want this to be an encouragement to you, to those of you that are out there slugging it out, trying to make it happen. How exciting was it on August, I think it was 1st, to get a phone call from David Rhodes, the boss. And what did David say to you on that phone call? Well, the first thing he called and he said, David Rhodes wants, Chief Rhodes wants to talk to you. And I said, uh, uh, okay, what did I do wrong? <laughs> you know, I was like, the principal Uh-oh. needs to talk to me. And, uh, and, and, he, <laughs> and he told me, he said, uh, I, got, I got some great news. He said, you had the most attended pre-conference class in FDIC. And uh, my stomach yeah. dropped and my throat got lumpy. And uh, it was just, it was just surreal, you know, to, to do what yeah. we love and to do what we work so hard to do and to get the feedback and the response is 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 closure i guess you know i mean it made me really feel like everything was worth the time the effort and the energy well brother thank you for being on and telling your story and what we wanted what mike and i were desirous of is the reason we did this the reason we're spending a couple hours of our lives to pull back the curtain is we want you to have a chance to experience what joe did because that was the capstone to doing it the right way. So brother, look forward to more things from you. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate every one of you. Thanks for your hard work. Well, we're almost to the end. I thought that was a lot of fun. You the, you know, you've heard it from the top. You've heard it from the middle. You've heard it from, you know, folks who got accepted. Um, let's just do our last two questions, Diane. Um, if you would, just for the nuts and bolts stuff, basic pay scale for FDIC and also there is an article required for people who are accepted. Uh, just go over why that article is required. Right. Um, 
We do marketing all year long to get more students into your classes. And so we ask you to do a short promo video plugging your class. And then we ask you to do an informational article on your topic that doesn't plug your class that we can use all year long to create interest in the topic and you as the instructor. So those are two requirements and we've had some people poo poo the article in the past, but we're trying to market your class. Why wouldn't you help us do that? So we encourage you to do your video and your article. And um, one thing I wanted to point out about Joe is that when we're going through the submissions, if you've taught before, the first thing we do is look up how many students were scanned into your class. And if you have an incredible number, we sing the theme from Welcome Back, Cotter, and you're in for next year. So when we saw that Joe had the biggest workshop attendance, we said, welcome back. And, you know, why wouldn't we have him teach it again? So uh, hot instructors get $250 a day for setup in their hot class. Uh, workshop instructor gets $250 to teach one class. And uh, regular classroom instructors, well, all the instructors get air, hotel, and free registration. So the classroom instructors are not getting paid, but they get free air, hotel, and registration to the whole conference. Well, and before we move to final thoughts, uh, Michael has the last question. Um, I neglected to ask you, you also have at FDIC and dynamite class that goes through a lot of what we just talked about. The difference is people can ask questions. Right, right. So we kinda, she we she right. got rejected this past Did year. Did she get rejected? I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so every Friday at FDIC when the classes are over so we don't compete with our instructors, at 12.30 we give a panel discussion on how to be a speaker, author, photographer, and we shorten the speech considerably, maybe a half hour, and then just take questions for another half hour. So I feel like this put a bullet in my class, and now I'm just going to show the video yep. <laughs> and and go out for a snack or a nap <laughs> while the video's playing. But well, if you want to ask on. live questions at FDIC next year, look for our class at 1230 on Friday. That's great. Thanks. Okay, guys. Um, any other tips that we haven't gone over for getting accepted at FDIC? I'd just say it's a complex process and um, we're not sitting here claiming that we always get it right. Um, we've picked some people that probably shouldn't have been picked before. Maybe their proposal fooled us. Maybe they, uh, you know, we got some bad advice from somebody, so we're not perfect. I don't think it occurs a, a lot, but it has happened. And so somebody who got rejected may have deserved to be there and somebody else got the spot. So it's not a it's not a perfect process. But the seriousness of it is. When we accept somebody for the conference in any format we are putting a huge stamp of approval on that person to go out to the entire fire service as an instructor. Um, just like with purchasing, if a big department goes with a certain brand, 
of equipment or whatever. There's a lot of little departments that don't even do their R&D. They just get that brand. If we allow you to teach at our conference, then we know we're putting that stamp of approval on you to go and teach anywhere else. And it's our reputation that is on the line. So, yeah, the things that you say online are important. Um, you know, you, you ran on something that doesn't automatically disqualify you or, or what have you. But part of it is assessing your emotional intelligence and your ability to to handle yourself as a representative, as an ambassador of us. And, you know, um, nobody's entitled to teach there. Uh you know, we've had people that have written books for us, done articles, and some of some of them aren't even teaching there anymore. And and it has a lot to do with how you handle yourself out in the public and all. And again, we're not perfect, but we do try to uphold that standard so that you know, if we're if we're endorsing you, it's our reputation too. So that's something to to really consider when you're when you're looking at these uh, things and, and you know what, um, pick up the phone, call, email. Um, if you want to know, if you want to know why, I mean, it's, we can't go into to an in-depth analysis of every single presentation, but I can pretty quickly tell you that, Hey, 10 people looked at your proposal and your overall score was a 1.5 out of five. I'm not exactly sure what you did, but I, I can give you that kind of, that kind of feed, feedback, you know, pretty quickly. And uh, um, just don't give up and, and take the, take this, what we said today, serious. And if you, if you want to do it, you'll put in the work and you'll be persistent. You'll master your subject and it'll eventually pay off. Well, thanks everybody. Um, this has been a fun couple of hours. Um, I hope you found it. Um, my hope is for you two at the top, because you know, the, the importance of this for both of you is significant. Um, I hope that, you got to articulate the message to the nation the way you wanted to. That was the goal. We didn't cover everything, gang. And there was no way we could unless we did this for five hours and then you'd stop listening. So um, my hope is that you got a good feel for not only the basic process, but some things that different types of individuals have done to make this happen. It's a worthwhile endeavor, whether seeing your name for the first time in fire engineering or getting the acceptance letter that you heard Candace and, and Joe, you could see them light up. You could see the light on their face, man. It's like, I did it. I was rejected four times. I didn't act a fool. I didn't go off and do nutty stuff. I worked to get better and I got the path and, and it was a wonderful day. We want you to experience that. We really do. Uh, Michael and I want it so much for you that we're willing to give you the tricks of the trade that might one day knock us out of the running. And that day is coming. For both of us, there is going to come a day when there's so much new talent, when there's so many popular classes, there's so much you know stuff that the the folks that are in David and Diane's position, um, there's going to come a day when we, we won't get the acceptance letter. Uh, we're willing to take that chance because we so we're so desirous of you bringing your stuff to the nation. So thank you guys, really appreciate it. Well done, man. Well done and. Fire engineering and FDIC is in great hands, and we just appreciate you spending time with us on the show today. Thanks for having yeah. us. Yeah, thanks for doing it. I think it's important. All right. Well, Michael, uh, did that go the way you wanted, baby? I think so. And the only other piece of advice I will give at the end is get involved. You got to be in it to win it. That's what I yeah. always say. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
We're, we're in a serious calling and it matters. And David said, and this is what I'll close you out with. Uh, he said that when you're accepted to write for fire engineering, you're accepted to write for FDIC, you're getting a stamp of approval and a validation and it elevates you. And there's a reason for that. Both of these brands, fire engineering and FDIC have been paid for at a price. There have been people who've sacrificed and spent hours upon hours upon hours and been rejected and been talked trash about and had their material ravaged and savaged. Also, that fire engineering and FDIC could represent the pinnacle and the standard for fire service training and fire service excellence. If you want to be worthy of that, you've now got a good roadmap to make it happen. And every single one of the people that are on this broadcast are willing to helping help you to do it. So uh, thank you. God bless, um, man. Uh, get, get busy. Start writing. You know, go out, go to your firehouse tomorrow and, and vet your class in front of your firefighters. Man, if you want to get savage, go try to teach your stuff to your own people. Um, look around for local fools organizations or fire organizations, the unions, to teach your stuff locally. Get your stuff to some of these smaller and mid-sized conferences. And one day it's going to be Mike and I's privilege to have you on our radio show to talk about your success. So thanks. God bless. And we'll see you on another edition of Mikey G and Mikey D.